Hi there. My name is David and welcome again to the Guiji podcast. It's been a while since I shared with you. Um today I just want to talk about me. I want to talk about me because I feel that uh to really get a grasp of mental health issues you know somehow you need to familiarize yourself with the person that you're chatting with for that connection all right so here i'm trying to connect with you uh and i hope you get to connect with me so who am i why i'm doing all this uh in the year 2015 the world changed for me everything turned upside down uh there was a moment where i felt like the world is ending all my soul was gone I was left there just like nothing. I felt like everything else is just about to be gone to disappear forever. At that time I didn't know what I was feeling. I didn't know whether it was real, but I just believed it. All that happened uh just days and a few weeks after my mom passed away. So I lost my mom in May 27 of 2015. My dear mama Victoria. My first born, my daughter is named after her. She was she meant the world to me. She was everything to me. You can call me mama's boy. I don't mind because really I love my mom who doesn't right so mom passed away after almost a year fighting a rare type of cancer it's called a primary peritoneal cancer PPC just google that if you have no idea what that is but in a nutshell it's a type of cancer that attacks the peritoneum The peritoneum is that uh cavity that covers your your organs, your stomach and all the insides. It's a highly connected uh, organ. It has a lot of interconnections with other organs. A lot of small blood capillaries and So it's an area of the body which is actually very essential to the lubrication of the organs inside it takes care of all that friction so that's the organ that my mom had cancer on so by may of 2015 her time was just running out 
we literally tried everything we could so that we can have more time with her. I personally tried everything, I thought of everything, but it's always God who knows when is the last day of everybody's life. So my mom passed down and I was completely devastated. So was everybody. Some of us were probably uh, good at uh, sort of like keeping it to themselves or, you know, not showing. I was one of those, but really inside it was, uh, I just couldn't believe that that's it, you know. So my reaction was a little bit, uh, not a little bit, it was a lot. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's, I, I, should call, I, should, I should call it worrisome, but it was unusual. I was very happy. I mean, instead of being so sad, I was extremely happy. I was actually very happy first because I knew that you know the pain is is gone she's gone to a better place that's what made me happy so I started becoming very happy and telling everybody to rejoice and be happy slowly that took a toll on me to make matters worse My last wish was sort of like my little sister who is now in a better place, who is probably smiling up there with her mom, Wendy. She was still in the United States and she just couldn't make it home for the funeral. So I just wanted her to be back. And on that end, I also tried everything that I could. Not only to convince her, but also to try and figure out ways that, you know, like that could bring her home. So all that time was going on and some things started happening. I started becoming a little bit cuckoos if that's what people thought like I started saying things which somehow didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people I started becoming maniac I started uh, being obsessed with numbers like with time I was very much obsessed with uh, the future I sort of believe that I knew what's going to happen, when, why, how. So I would just walk around with somebody and I would just say something and it happens. I would do things on time, following seconds to the second. I'll send a text. I'll open a text, I'll read an email, I'll send an email at specific times. 
really that that just didn't make any sense to everybody I, mean, I didn't know that I was I was maniac so slowly I descended into this person who was maniac and nobody knew what was happening I was still in Dar es Salaam and so a few stuff happened I joined the gym I started training program that I invented and I convinced myself that I can lose 30 kilos in nine days just imagine <laughs> if that was not enough I told people that I'm gonna do it and actually shared my progress live on YouTube I was broadcasting I was going to the gym with a laptop and a router and recording everything. I was just in my own zone. So after a short while, so the nine days was actually about to end towards my 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 daughter's birthday. But just before that, I did something crazy, crazy, crazy. I came up with a scheme to get money to bring Wendy home. So I figured, I asked my dad actually, I asked him like, are you ready to sell one of your plots so that we can raise money? And he said, if that's what it takes, Yes. I said, okay. So what I did is I devised a plan. I wrote up an email which was very, very strange. I sent it out to a lot of different people. And out of all that, the goal was to actually raise over 300,000 US dollars which was close to the cost of one of the plots that my dad agreed to sell. So I was, this gonna work. And what I did is I went to the richest man in town. I went to Barresa. Yeah, why not? So I went to one of his offices, actually went to his house and they asked me to go to his office but I just went to one of his company's offices and I met uh, his chief of security and uh, so showed them the email. There was a live broadcast about to happen at around 8 a.m. on that day. So <laughs> that head of security actually believed me. I mean, I wanted them to believe me because I wanted that money. So after a while, after he made some calls, he made some calls to Barres himself, with his assistants, and somehow they, they didn't recognize me, so the whole thing was quite fishy. So they took me to, the, to a police station, yeah. Some police officers came along with guns and everything and 
they took me to the police station. So they took me there and I was interviewed for a few hours. I was not placed under arrest, like not sent to any cell or anything. So I was just there like they interviewed me, my dad showed up, my friends showed up. Even one of my friends was a was a Catholic priest showed up just to make sure that they understand that I'm not a I'm not a con man or anything you know yeah, so eventually the conclusion was that after they interviewed me they 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 agreed that I should be taken to to a hospital so they took me to the hospital took me to Mumbili I went there but guess what I met this doctor a lady uh, who actually looked a lot like somebody I knew so <laughs> to my mind I felt like okay it's like I'm just talking to this friend I know okay so the whole conversation was interesting we talked we chatted about you know what she thought I w- was wrong with me and uh, the medication that she thought I should take and everything so after after a while they sort of like you know just gave me the medication and told me to take the medication at home okay i was not admitted i was there was nothing and they actually didn't know what was wrong with me anyway so I was sent home actually we left there and we went to uh, Sikleaf Karambezi cafe we had lunch it was a great afternoon we had a long conversations and just friendly conversations between me my dad and my friend father uh, Philip Tairo is now a, a priest a padre yeah so yeah after that I went home and uh, so it was time for me to take the medication I'm about to sleep right so what I did is I just asked them like guys do you really want to make me take this medication and they said yes the doctor advised you to take the medication I said all right but do you know the side effects of the medication okay and there were there, there was a pause actually okay so i was actually given haloperidol okay given out peridot and uh, so I just started reading to them I told them just go to Google and search side effects of haloperidol you know it's a new medication so you know so they went on and it was stuff like dry mouth blurred vision constipation diarrhea vomiting difficulty falling asleep all staying asleep blank facial expression uncontrollable eye movements 
you know, those kind of things like unusual, slow, uncontrollable movements of any part of, your part of the body, like agitation, mood changes, uh, breast milk production, difficulty urinating I mean a lot of those like fever like confusion so I gave them that rundown and they're all like sort of like hey maybe you shouldn't take the medication so I actually didn't take the medication and I just slept it off okay so I slept woke up the next day and uh, before you know it like everything is almost back to normal now. Nobody's actually worried as they they were the day before because I didn't do anything crazy when I woke when I woke up. I was pretty much pretty much normal. I had a chat with my dad and this and that and and then I a few days I just decided that I'm gonna go back to Arusha. So I went to Arusha. I did a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time exercising. I met my family and, uh, you know, all the good stuff. And then my daughter's birthday was when I was actually, you know, I dressed up in a full suit and I was wearing this Bluetooth headset all the time. I was, there was something about me which was still off by all standards because I, I never used to be like that. But anyway, so I sort of like uh, went to, to spa, which was in Arusha, but then uh, had invited friends over, Invited my cousin Harry from Moshi. So, you know, so Patricia was there and several other friends, Nelly, my cousin, and yeah, so I spent a lot of money and but we had a good time. And so days went by, few weeks went by, and then I got back to Dar sometime towards the end of June and now this time is when stuff started changing because I was still communicating with my little sister and it was still giving me a hard time to accept that she wasn't present during the funeral and she wasn't making sense in a lot of stuff that we were talking about so um what happened is this one day I went out with friends. It, it was on June the 26th, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. June the 26th. Uh, that should be a Saturday, yeah. Twenty 
Yeah, so June 26, 2015, uh, I went to Samaki Samaki. So I went there, I met a lot of friends, and I... I had a great time, okay? Had a great time. Yeah, so it was June 27th. I was just actually cross-checking. I did go out on the 26th, but I also went out on the 27th. So this is the day when sort of like stuff really happened, like I was talking too much, I was all over the place, I drank a lot, I just did a lot of stuff, I mean, I stayed there till the wee hours, till the morning light, and then I went back home, and the craziest thing happened, so, you know, My dad has this uh, Nissan Patrol, or some, some others call it a Nissan Safari, but it's a Nissan Patrol, um, a red one. It's a, it's a car that I used to drive a lot after my college days. It was pretty much like my car, if you call it that way. Like, and I love that car. I still love it. So. For some reasons, I remember my dad told me that he sold the car because I didn't see it for a while. It was missing for a long, I mean, for a long time. And then, to my surprise, this morning I'm going home and I find it parked at home. I was like, "What?" So, strangely, strange enough, I mean. Imagine, I'm back, back home from drinking. What I did is I went straight to my dad's room and I started crying. Like, why is this car here? You know, and my dad was also shocked. Like, what's wrong with you, man? It's my car. Where should it be? I said, you told me you sold it. He said, never told you that. I said, you did, but where was it? He said that I had it somewhere. I mean, I was, that was crazy. And then, so I immediately just went to my room and... So, anyway, so... A day after that, actually on that very same day during the evening, I went out, I went around, I was still not feeling very fine. My friends came over and sort of like tried to do an intervention on me. And that didn't really work out quite well. But then we agreed that we're gonna do, we're gonna go to a hospital. So we arranged going to a hospital, we went to Temeke, 
and after we went to Temeke, then we went to Muimbili, and that's when I got admission. So long story short, I got admission. I was in Muimbili Psychiatry Department. Uh, I stayed there for, for quite a short while. I met this wonderful psychologist, Dr. Hogan. She's, I feel like she's the one who really helped me understand what was going on because uh, she, she took the time to listen to me, which is something that I really needed. Someone to just listen to me. And in return, I gave her all the time pay attention so she knew that I was unlike many other patients in there I was more understanding I was quite educated so she started giving me books she knew I like I like to read somehow so I was staying in the uh, private ward and she started giving me books about psychology about psychiatry about this about that trying to understand what was wrong with me because they initially didn't know what was happening with me but soon enough they realized I'm bipolar and so they gave me books to start up, to start understanding what being bipolar means and how I should uh, live with it so I was getting medication, I was getting therapy, but also I was getting education, free education. And that's where my journey started. That's where my journey in July of 2015 started. That's when I got my diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And ever since, my life has pretty much turned because for one, um, throughout that experience, I, it affected how people uh, perceive me, sort of like it affected how my family and friends uh, sort of like interacted with me. It affected my work-life balance. It also affected my my work specifically because by that time I actually had no job. By that time, just after starting to recover, I had my wife was pregnant. A lot of stuff was just in my head. I was like, so all this time all this is happening and this is it like I'm just bipolar there was nothing nothing special anyway so for some reasons and I think that's how it works so it actually just sent me into a bipolar depression and that was the first and probably the last I hope of me getting a bipolar depression like the worst time I ever had in my life. 
I don't even know how to explain it, but basically you are in, you are in this situation where you hate yourself, you hate life, you don't feel like you should continue to live anymore. You feel like everything is working against you. You feel like nothing really just nothing really works anymore. And even worse, you starting you start getting these sort of like suicide of thoughts and feelings. Like I would be walking and something tells me just jump in front of that car man and end it. I mean, I don't, but I feel like something is pushing me. It is a strange feeling because you sort of have no control over the feelings at all. Like it just comes in. So you spend most of your time just you know no sleeping not awake you're just there you know you can't sleep and you can't stay awake you're pretty much a zombie so that was my worst experience so that's me I'm David um bipolar and I've gone through shit I've gone through hell but on my friend um I've tried to tell you all this so you sort of like can understand where I come from you sort of can understand where this sort of like happened the trigger So the trigger was actually the death of my mom but not only that but my late sister was also a trigger for me as some that's something like most people don't really understand how or why but I spent a lot of time just trying to understand myself like why did all this happen So here I am today after over six years of living with bipolar learning of having relapses over six years of ups and downs six years of being judged six years of not being given certain freedoms and not being afforded certain uh, sort of like opportunities i mean i know for sure a fact that all this has changed how certain people who were very close to me and who are probably still very close to me how they look at me what they think of me but i came to realize that none of that really matters what does what what really matters is how do i 
go on from there. Life has to go on, right? So how do I move on from that stage to another stage? Okay. So six years passed and today we have Ouija podcast, right? My life has not really changed so much. I can't say that I'm wealthy or anything because I'm not. But what I can say is I've had a lot of time to sort of like figure out like what I want to do with my life. And one thing I know for sure is I want to spend a lot more time to share my my experience, my knowledge, to share my story, to inspire other people to open up, to sort of like touch more more lives and help people deal with their mental health struggles. I know bipolar disorder is not the only condition out there. There are many of them. And that's why I really think this matters. Ouija is about all mental health conditions. And not just that, Ouija is about the human condition. So we are a sphere that's expanding, engulfing everything in its path. Sort of like touch people's lives and help people to be the to be better versions of themselves. Okay. So yeah, so I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been a wonderful time talking with you. And next time I'll try and bring a guest and have a conversation with them so and start having more structured conversations. So it's been a wonderful 35 minutes almost. And uh I want you to feel inspired and go touch people's lives, okay? Take good care of yourselves and take care of the loved ones. All the very best. Peace out.